Welcome back to the SFBCPC, Season 1. That's an abbreviation for Science Fiction Book Club Podcast, Season 1. On today's episode, we'll be talking about The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, written in Earth Year 1979 by Earth author Douglas Adams. We're podcasting from the Galactic Center, 900 years in your future. And I'm getting old Keeps me searching for a heart of gold And I'm getting old I'm your host, Brent Aldrich, and joining me via holographic projection, as always, is John Love. Hi, John. Hello. How are you doing? Uh, you know, yeah. been better. Uh, oh, is something wrong? Uh, nope. It's been better. Can't when? always be like... When not... specifically have you been better? Uh, right before you asked me a stupid question. No, well... Just kidding. That was a great question. Thanks. Uh, I've never been better. I was kidding the first time. So, but I've never better as of right now. That's the best I ever felt. How about? Did you hear that? No. I I thought I I sounded like a ghost. We we have we have possibly had a haunting on the pod. No. Yeah. I don't believe it. I'm pretty sure. I have to touch it with my own icy um, holographic projection fingers. Why are they so icy? You've been eating um, uh, ice cream out of the carton again? Of course, with my hands. <laughs> um, yeah, there's no um, holographic projection forks in my neck of the woods. Is that right? It's true. What about, you eat, wait a minute, you eat ice cream with a fork? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Duh. Well, I did. But there's none to be found. Right. So fingers. Before I became a holographic projection. Wait a minute. This is complicated. It's my life. How are you, John? I'm great. How are you? Pretty good. I've never been better as of right now. My hands are cold, though. I'm eating a lot of ice cream. Uh, yeah, well, uh, you know what they say. Eat a lot of ice cream. Keeps the doctor away. <laughs> yep. Nailed uh, it. John. Yep. Spit, spit that ice cream out. <laughs> Gross. Uh, can you see who's uh, who's sitting in the pod with me today? Uh, I don't want to talk about it. Looks familiar. Oh, hello, hello. Hi, uh... It's our friend Adam. Oh, yeah, my, it's Adam Dick. Your friend is a real stretch. <laughs> whoa, whoa. It's my friend well, Adam. Well, I'm wondering yeah. how you knew you know, who I was, because uh, the, the portal I'm using, it, yeah, my body comes in very slowly, and it starts with the mouth, luckily, so you can hear me. Uh-huh. Uh, but right now, I'm just a floating mouth. I know that mouth from anywhere. Oh, yeah. I know that, that float from anywhere. <laughs> just the way you just float, the way baby. I float. Wow, thanks. It's in the way that you use it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bring the animosity so soon. Uh, no, no. Just, you know, when you're reading my thoughts, last time you were on the podcast, it really... Yeah, and I, and I am sorry. Well... Before you say anything. And I know what you're going to, you know, say. Fuck you. <laughs> That's the you one. You nailed it. Uh, that was Dang it. it. 
That was it. All right, well, I'll get that one out of the way, and hopefully it doesn't come out again. Uh, Adam, uh, it's been a while since we've seen you, man. It happens. Uh, what, uh, what have you been doing? Um, you know, not too much. Just kind of hanging out in space. Space stuff. Oh, space stuff. Yeah. Classic yeah. space stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, we all know what that means. Probably not, not even any need to elaborate, actually. No, <laughs> no let's, not, let's leave it at that. Yeah. Do, space, space stuff. stuff. And uh, and you were just uh, you were just what you were just uh, doing space stuff and and thought you'd stop by for a while. Yeah, I thought I'd drop a line. I think yeah. last time uh, we had a little harder time coming in our travel. I gave us memory loss. That was yeah. a problem. So I'm trying this new this new thing. Pill. It's not a pill. Uh, it's more of like a machine that I just kind of ram Whoa. my body into. Explain. Well, I ram my body into it, and whatever hits. It uh, goes in first very quickly. So, so you were kissing it? Yeah, I was kissing it. Yeah. So that's why your mouth... Well, is the shape of lips. So that's why... very enticing. That's why I only... rammed my body into it. <laughs> lips first. Is that why only your mouth has materialized yeah, is. here so it far? Is. And um, And hopefully I can just fit the rest through. Is that also why you're doing that weird thing with your tongue? <laughs> A lot of mouth sounds so far. I like it. The listeners love it. <laughs> Yeah, so hopefully by the end of the show, you know, my entire body will be there. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, your mouth is coming through uh, well. <laughs> Crystal clear. <laughs> Great. It's working. Uh, so, uh, so this episode, we, uh, we've all read, I believe, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yep. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I sure have. Good, just checking. Um, My eyes back at home did. Uh, um, so I guess that's maybe a question: is like, at what part of you do you feel attached to? Because that's like potentially or hypothetically, your brain is still actually pre-portal or pre-it is <laughs> metal it is. shelf device. Uh, but I guess kind of the way it works is it's simultaneous. So mm-hmm. I can think here at the same time. I hear you guys and speak with you. So nice. It's like, kind of like a wormhole, I guess. Oh, so you're hearing through your mouth, sure basically. <laughs> eating like that. sound waves. Sweet. Yes, that's mm-hmm. the one. That's science, all <laughs> of you in the past. That's how science works. Yeah, in the future. Idiots. Yeah. <laughs> Losers. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to offend our listeners. Oh, sure. Yeah, well, create a rift. That's right. In 900 years, we've grown more sympathetic and, and forgiving of one another. That's true. But we understand that 900 years ago, things were not so. That's true. Everybody was aggressive, barbaric. They couldn't separate their mouths from the rest of their bodies. Mm. They couldn't be holographic projections. Mm-mm. Posted mean things on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... Yeah, we're just assholes, basically. Mm-hmm. No, no offense, but you guys are all assholes. So, deal with it. Mm-hmm. So, books are things. Well, yeah, what do you guys think about this book? It's largish, papery. Um, yeah, I mean, not that largish. Oh, you no, know, not at all. Yeah, one of, one of the shorter books we've read, probably. Only yeah. longer than Flatland, maybe? Flatland. I mean, it's no Dune, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Strictly by uh, size. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always, 
issues, care about those sorts of things. Uh, what do you, how about by volume? By volume, I would say slightly larger than Flatland, definitely not as big as Dune, still. Okay. Same, same thing. Okay. And, uh, and by, uh, by standard uh, galactic weight? Um, I would say it weighs three Smegnars. Yeah, I'd say you're about right. Yep. Give or take. Give or take a Smegnar yeah. and a half. I'm very bad at guessing weights, <laughs> galactic weights. It's a large margin of error. Yeah. Well, 50%, that's not so bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I'll just uh, hop right into this book, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. What do we want to say about it? Uh, you've got some characters. I would say you have several characters. Okay, including. Uh, best books have them. <laughs> yeah, the best books do have characters. I'd say we have... Um, Man, I can't even think of that first one. Arthur? Arthur Dent. Arthur Dent. How could I not think of that name? It's so the common. Earthling. The main character? Main yeah. character, Arthur Dent. Yes. The Earthling, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is probably a pretty interesting book for our listeners, mm-hmm. considering that we are these, you know, smart uh, future intergalactic space travelers, yep. and they are, you know, earthbound little pipsqueaks. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've just been terribly, like, terribly offensive to our listeners today. Man. But, uh, but you know, they can probably um, empathize with Arthur Dent, uh, a character who very early on in the book uh, first loses his house yep. to uh, <laughs> to some, basically some politicians who think that, or for, or for some reason, want to demolish his house to create a. A highway through that same space? Yeah, a bypass. Yeah, a bypass. And so, well, I don't know. This is probably the very first portion in the book where they talk about sort of governmental sort of foolishness often because Arthur had to go uh, travel some distance and go to a basement and find this um, note that basically told him, hey, your house is going to get demolished, um, which is kind of, I don't know, that's one of the themes of the book, is sort of governmental, bureaucracy. Um, yeah, bureauc- bureaucratic idiocy, essentially. Um, just the first instance of that, and uh, I, I mean, I think that this book, one of the funny parts about it is how easily everybody's sort of duped into doing things, so I can't remember his name, but the descendant of Genghis Khan, yeah. who's one of the, the person in charge of demolishing Arthur's house gets fooled into trading places with Arthur who was laying in the mud in front of the bulldozers to protect his house. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, gets fooled by Arthur's friend Ford Prefect. Ford Prefect. Um, an alien. Uh, someone we can relate to. Someone that you Earthlings probably can't so much. But uh, that's one of the interesting, yeah sort of one of the first real funny moments that I found yeah. was Ford Prefect basically said, oh, well, you can just take Arthur's place, and he does. Yeah. And yeah. he essentially blocks the duty of the, bu- the bureaucratic system that he is supposed to be in charge of. Um, so yeah, just a moment of slapstick comedy yeah. by, old, by old Douglas Adams. Well, I, I, I think, like, that's one of the things that made this book one very quick to read, but also just so much fun to read, is, like, it, it's actually hilarious. Yep. Um, there's so much of it that is, it's like, a, it's like setups for jokes, or it is elaborate jokes, or the way that 
the way the language works. There's these jokes, or there's these funny premises that happen. I would say um, there's a lot of overlap, or there's a lot of a similar spirit between this book and um, the Kurt Vonnegut book we read. Yeah. Um, Sirens of Titan. Sirens of Titan. Yeah. Why can't I think of that? That, you know, setting up humorous premises, mm-hmm. a lot to do with absurdity, especially sort of the folly of man type of absurdity, yes. where people are doing, um, you know, stupid things often and don't really know why they're doing it or to what end or what cause uh, their actions serve. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, and this is not really a critique of the book because I think it's just something intentionally different, but it doesn't really investigate or it's, it doesn't care so much about the real repercussions of some of those things. Yeah. Like it doesn't care so much about you know, what is the actual folly of man? Like, what does that say about us? There's not, like, a much of a philosophical end to it. It's mostly just a bunch of, like, punchlines. Yeah. yeah, it's just kind of pointing out the folly. Mm-hmm. Rather than... Yeah. Uh, really, I mean, more interested in the humor of it than, like, yeah. the real, like, sort of deep philosophical yeah. ramifications of the thing. I think that is interesting. Actually, thinking about the Sirens of Titan in this book, and, and Adam, I don't... You weren't with us for that one. However, missed it. In in the Sirens of Titan, I think that it's nice um, to see your nose, by the way. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just the very old tip of it. It Well, I'm smelling something from in there. I don't know. I don't know what Brent's cooking up. Yeah. Uh, What are you you cooking over there? Sipping on. Uh. Well, so I've I've got the 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 coffee going on the one hand. Sure. Yeah. And on the other. What about on all the seven legs? Um. I'm. I'm just cracking eggs on each one, just constantly. Wow. You just eat raw eggs all the time. Yeah, that's why I'm so strong. <laughs> well, I've never seen you try and lift anything, but I believe you. Well, just lots of raw eggs, one after another. <laughs> You're a real Rocky. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means, actually. For some reason, it just made sense to me. Uh, I, I like rocks. Just popped you like in rocks. your head. You like Rocky Road. It's my favorite ice cream. That, that word kind of popped in your head, Rocky. That phrase, kind of like... I don't know if it's jumping too far ahead. Kind of like um, the word for wind jumped into the the whales. That's sperm whale. Oh, let's yeah, let's get into sperm whales. Go for it. Not it. Not it. Oh, all right. I guess it's me. Are you guys, are you guys pointing sperm at me? Whales. I can't tell. Sperm whale tribute. I can't tell if you're pointing at me. My eyes haven't poked through, but I'm gonna. How do you know I was pointing then? Oh. He could Fair smell point. your point. Well, I can hear your <laughs> it's very thoughts. Pointed. Uh, never mind. It's gobbling up your thoughts. <laughs> Thought gobbler. Yeah. I'm going to start yeah. exactly. just spewing off he's expletives a, soon. He's a real thought gobbler. Um, yeah, I mean, let's talk about let's talk about thought gobblers later. Let's talk about sperm whales now, because okay. they're important. Um, no, I mean, that... I feel like the problem with talking about the sperm whale, though, is we have to talk about so many other things that happened... Like we can get back to it. We should get back to the probability drive. Okay, well, I'll, I'll make a note of it on my paper pants right now, and we'll come back to it. Nice. Paper pants, yep, that's a sperm. We will inevitably come back to sperm whale. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, I can see the note. It says sperm pants. Yeah. That's great. All right, so <laughs> where were we? Uh, oh, well, with Sirens of Titan, I think you brought up a good point. I think Sirens of Titan... And this are super similar in terms mm-hmm. of they're both pretty funny. They both deal with some of the same like 
uh, universal like neuro- neuroses mm-hmm. of all of existence. Right. But I think that you're right in that the Sirens of Titan at the end really does try to get this like question of what it is to be human or alive or whatever. Right. Whereas so well with Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, it's very much like slapstick and sort of reveling in that absurdity of being alive. Definitely. Which is fun. It's a yeah. lot of fun to it's read. Fun. I don't think the characters really stop to think about their existence as it's happening. Right. The main character, Arthur Dent, is not... He's worried about dying, but mm-hmm. it doesn't really come across. It's just right. kind of like he's caught up in what's happening. Yeah, because I think one of the first things that happens after he... You know, is on a spaceship after his on a second spaceship, which we could get into how he gets to where. Um, on the second spaceship, after his planet is destroyed, um, the first thing he's really worried about is if there's tea on board this ship, <laughs> yeah. uh, which just seems like such an absurd moment. Like, you know, you are ostensibly like one of two people, which we learn later, um, that are still alive from Earth in the whole universe. Yeah. And that's what you, you just care about a drink that you really like. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's also kind of an Anglophile joke because the right. English are so obsessed with tea. Yeah. I think that's kind of a joke aimed at them as well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> those readers. Those, those English. From what I know about England, <laughs> it's a country on earth. Mm-hmm. 900 years, at least 900 years. Which ago. we should say in this book. Uh, some of the first action that happens in the book. Arthur, Dent, and Ford Prefect are on Earth. Arthur's house gets bulldozed, and then Earth gets blown up. Mm-hmm. In a similar way in a similar, to, yeah, <laughs> in a similar bureaucratic way to, you know, how Arthur's house was destroyed. Yeah, um, Similarly, there was a very difficult... Uh, a process to get to the, the notification that this thing was like, scheduled for demolition and nobody on earth n- could read it except for the second smartest beings on the planet, dolphins. Dolphins. They were very aware. Um, tried to give the humans the message um, through the form of like tricks and flips like the things that dolphins do. I'm told <laughs> at a place called SeaWorld which I don't really understand what that is. But, uh, you know, tried to communicate that way, and the humans just didn't get it. So the final message that they left uh, before they evacuated the planet, because they didn't want to get destroyed, was, uh, so long and thanks for all the fish. (laughs) Which, yeah, you know, is another, like, sort of fitting thing. Like, oh, yeah, you guys helped us, not not helped us survive, but helped us thrive in some way, uh, let us enjoy our lives by giving us tons of fish. Yeah. And, uh, and you're all going to die, but thanks. You know, thanks pretty, you know, funny, like, again, absurd gesture by the second smartest beings on Earth. And we'll learn who the smartest beings are later. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, again, like, it seems like so much of the structure of this book is just put together to provide for these you know, hilarious, absurd premises to, like, sort of play themselves out, Um, which is, yeah, again, like, really great. Um, A much, again, we we talked about Cyber Titan, like, similarly funny 
but a more a breezier version mm -hmm. of funny that you don't have to like really like dig deep down into yourself to investigate like oh yeah that's just funny yeah. like you can get that without having to really worry about the repercussions yourself mm -hmm. so you sort of take the role maybe of some of the characters that are actually within the within the story so yeah he does he does a couple of different things so there's the times when it is actually a joke or like a slapstick situation but then there's this other thing that happens a lot through the book where there's just some reference like some kind of throwaway reference to another planet or culture or whatever and it seems as if any one of those is like a premise that could get fleshed out into its whole own narrative universe yep but and some of them do, like some of them do reappear, yep. but then some of them are just these like throwaway, like here's some interesting information about uh, the pangalactic gargle blaster, or here's these mattresses that grow in the swamps of this particular planet. Mm -hmm. And so any one of those is really hilarious, and because of this format with The Hitchhiker's Guide, which gives you like all this information about mm -hmm. everything... Mm -hmm. It seems like uh, Douglas Adams was able to just throw in any hilarious idea he had within the context of the guide or just right. in the book. But then some of those definitely show up later, and, and it makes you think, like, so any one of these things that are just kind of a throwaway joke could then later actually become its own universe or setting or character. Yeah, like these are the kind of things that sci-fi nerds like, thrive on in movies. Yeah. Just, like, little details like make the world more real and world building for sure and maybe i don't think we've actually really explained that the title of this book comes from a book within the universe of yes. the book uh called the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy which is well, i don't know i mean it's like a dictionary it explains like it's an electronic book um i don't know if you guys know anything about that in, in your time but uh, it's sort of a reference guide that you can you can look up different things in the universe, and they will tell you. This book will tell you um, sort of a firsthand account of what it means. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, Ford Prefect was the the writer of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy book within the universe um, entry on Earth. I mean, that's what he was there for. That's how he got stranded on the planet because he was there doing research for the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy book. Which, funny note, um, his you know his entry in the book was yeah. on Earth was harmless. Yeah. Uh, later on, he says he tells Arthur he's going to change the entry to mostly harmless, <laughs> uh, which I think is kind of a funny. Moment. I mean, really brings home the insignificance of this planet to whom Arthur you know. That's all he knows. That's that's, exactly right. that's where every repercussion of every action his entire life has led. I mean, that's that's where everything has happened for him. That's uh, everyone he's ever known. Yeah, exactly, and all of their actions and activities. So, I mean, the reference to Genghis Khan early in the book, who is this huge figure in Earth history, but you know, despite that, he's still just a part of the, the two-word quote, mostly harmless. Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, again, talking about the folly of man and the absurdity of our activities. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty strong, just, like, way to, to funnel this stuff into a really sharp point of, yeah. yeah, does it really matter? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, which maybe thinking that way, 
could potentially allow us to get into the more philosophical ramifications like because the jokes are pointed for sure they're they're not just humorous they're not just silly but the, the jokes come at such a pace that yes. you almost don't have time to really oh think hard about each individual one every page has a joke yeah, yeah for sure yeah I was trying to take notes of some of them you know, and and there's so many. Like the dialogue between characters is is full of jokes, but then also just it, it is so good that I mean they almost need to be like read out loud or um, performed because You're trying to audiobook it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you want to turn to page fifty-seven in your copy, John? Uh, I don't want to, but I will. If you would. Sure, I'm there. Not I'm the, there, brother. Not that this needs to, but but this is one of those where. It is actually talking about some serious ideas, but in such a way that it's so jokey mm-hmm. that, that you almost would, would miss it. I'm going to start towards the bottom of the page. Do you want to be Ford or Arthur? Uh, whichever one speaks second, so I can really find the, <laughs> the place that we're at. I'm going to read, and then I guess I'll be Arthur. Okay. Ford skidded down a beam of light and spun around trying to find a source for the voice but could see nothing he could seriously believe in. What was that voice? shouted Arthur. I don't know, yelled Ford. I don't know. It sounded like a measurement of probability. Probability? What do you mean? Probability, you know, like two to one, three to one, five to four, against. It said two to the power of one hundred thousand to one against. That's pretty improbable, you know. A million-gallon vat of custard upended itself over them without warning. But what does it mean, cried Arthur. What, the custard? No, the measurement of improbability. I don't know. I don't know at all. I think we're on some kind of spaceship. I can only assume, said Arthur, that this is not the first class compartment. So, you know, we're talking about probability and and the odds of anything existing and uh, if you have to see a thing for it to uh, actually exist Mm -hmm. uh, or to be able to believe in it or how you believe in a thing. Right. And then there's a joke about custard right. in the middle of it. For sure. And a quick aside, I mean, I have been studying a lot of Earth culture to try and perfect my English accent. So I hope that it came through. Because if not, all is, all is forgotten. I meant all is to, for not. I meant to ask. I thought you were choking on ice cream, to be honest. Uh, no, I didn't. And shoveling it into your face. I can see that now with my eyes. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, your there's eyes. your eyes. Yeah, there they are. Beautiful. Wow. Purple. Purple eyes. How about that? Even yeah. the, the parts that are normally white. Yeah. Crazy. All purple. Uh, all purple everything. But, yeah, you know, I'm just trying something out for the listeners. Uh-huh. They'll, they'll get it. You might not get it. They'll probably get it. Um, I was thinking of a similar moment, though, where it is, again, like a total throwaway, very quick joke mm-hmm. that has potentially huge ramifications for you know for earth for especially people who believe in god which i'm told is a huge thing 900 years ago or so. god's god's huge yeah god's very large how large well he's got the whole world in his hands oh wow so whole you have to imagine how big his hands are yeah earth world that's pretty big water world actually Mm. tim and kevin cosner on a big marble of water Mm mm-hmm um, anyways, are you gonna audiobook this for us? I'm gonna audiobook this, um, which again is something we invented. So if any, if you guys hear about audiobooks, uh, please send us royalties because that's our invention. 
Thank you. By royalties, he means crowns and, and scepters and things. Yeah, duh. Right. Okay. And robes and... Princesses. Princesses, duh. Uh, Jasmine. <laughs> Anyways, ja- Rice. Jasmine Rice. Uh, anyways, so... And I'm not going to do the English accent because I'm getting flack from it. Flack about it from this seven-legged jerkbag. No, no, no. <laughs> have, have you have you done research in uh, Canadian accents? I don't know what that is. All right, never mind. Okay. Anyways, uh, so <laughs> Arthur, in order to understand the languages of all the people that he meets, um, gets a, a babble fish implanted into his head, which apparently is a fish that feeds off of brainwaves and excretes um, other brainwaves, which, which is essentially like a translation service. So sounds come in, and they're translated to whatever native language uh, the being uh, whose head it is. So Arthur gets a babblefish stuck into his brain, and this is just shortly after that happens, um, talking about the existence or non-existence of God. So the argument goes something like this. I refuse to prove that I exist, says God, for proof denies faith. And without faith, I am nothing. But, says man, the babblefish is a dead giveaway, isn't it? It could not have evolved by chance. It proves you exist, and so therefore, by your own arguments, you don't. Oh dear, says God, I hadn't thought of that, and promptly vanishes in a puff of logic. That's it. (laughs) Uh, So that's the end of that whole joke and premise, which is, you know, kind of hilarious. It just sets up, like, little logic moments. Yeah. That, that God essentially causes himself to not exist <laughs> because of this own premise that and he he's set clear, up. And it's funny in another way because he's clearly there talking. Exactly. And then, right. and then ceases Yeah, to so exist. he did exist, but then because of this logical flaw, um, he doesn't exist. Which, I don't know, maybe talks about, again, the power of language. Yes. Um, but also, yeah, the, yeah, the pen, the power of logic. But I just think, it, but that's about it. Also the name. Tower of Babel, Babelfish. For sure. I mean, Babel is a word. There, yeah, there's a book language. called the Bible I'd heard of. That oh, I never heard of that. that. It's not. A, it's a I don't book? think it's a sci-fi book. Well, we can read it. Yeah, I mean, there's the uh, in Dune, the Orange Catholic Bible. Oh right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's just an orange book. The OC in in Dune. Uh, not a popular 2000s something. TV show, but a book? Yeah. Great. Orange yeah. Catholic. Uh, oh, Orange County, the movie with Jack Black. I love that movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, and Colin Hanks. I don't like Tom Hanks so much. I think it's his dad. But Colin Hanks, mm-hmm. he's a real <laughs> stellar actor. Yeah. Colin Firth? Uh, no. Terrible. <laughs> the worst. Awful. The absolute god awful. Doesn't exist. Remember Poof Logic, that whole thing? Anyways, but again, like I like how that's essentially a, a shortish paragraph mm-hmm. in which um, the existence of God is both proven and then totally the, the rug is pulled out from under it for the sake of this joke that, you know, then we don't have to worry about it from here on out. Like, yeah, God doesn't exist. Great. Moving on. Uh, and so, yeah, I love like sort of the, the frivolity that some of these things are given in this book. It's, I think it's really fantastic. Mm. I mean, there's a man, there's so many instances like that too. You know, I pretty early on was just trying to figure out 
like I said earlier, with any of these premises that like might turn into a thing later. So there's a few that actually do. I think one of the first ones being that galactic, you know, the pan-galactic gargle blaster, the drink, which is drink to that. Uh, the best drink in existence, according to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. But then, at the start of Chapter 2, it just starts in immediately with an Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy entry, which is another thing I want to talk about, how this, how this whole book, how this whole narrative is set up, or who's doing speaking, or... Anyway, so it, it goes into this long thing about the pan-galactic gargle blaster. It says, it's like having your brain smashed out by a slice of lemon wrapped around a large gold brick. It has this whole list of ingredients, which is one of these things about where these things come from. Three cubes of Arcturian Megagen. Water from the seas of Santraginus V. Um, just all, all of these elaborate ingredients and places that may or may not be important. I bring this one up, though, because later on it turns out that Safad Beeble, Beeble Brocks, Brocks, Beeble Brocks. Uh, was the inventor of this drink. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's one of these that actually reoccurs later in the book, which is an interesting thing. But you never know. You never know if a thing that you read as an aside is actually going to be important later on or not. Right. Um, so some of them are just hilarious premises, and then some of them are actually essential to the narrative, but there's almost no way to determine as you read which is which. Yeah, and maybe we should say, too, that Zaphod Beeblebrock yes. uh, is the president of the galaxy? Not, not the universe, just the, the galaxy. galaxy yeah. President of the galaxy, which we learn is essentially not necessarily just a popularity contest, but his role is essentially just to to sort of be entertaining almost yeah. and in, in order to distract the galactic citizens from who has the actual power. Um, so again, I mean, maybe talking about um, the sort of, I mean, maybe corruption within the, um, um, the governmental system, which is again sort of a yeah. pointing to some of the ways that it falls apart or the way that it's not useful or not actually benefiting anybody. Um, that seems to be a theme that he's trying to get at. Um, these sort of bumbling idiots that are within government in order to, in some ways, allow the people that are in power to maintain power, mm-hmm. um, which I think is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we meet Zaphod Beeble Brox as he's driving this boat across the some body of water it actually hovers, but it has, like, a thing that sticks in the water, so it has this, like, appearance of waves and stuff. I, I remember the way, I don't remember where in the book, but I remember the way it's set up. There's this description of his two arms, and very clearly says, like, his two arms. Oh, and then also this third arm, which is doing this other thing. Mm-hmm. And then it's a similar setup with, like, he has two heads. Yep. And so, again, it's just this elaborate setup rather than just saying, like, this guy has three arms and two heads. They just kind of skim over it, yeah. like it's not important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, then, and so it's like a really elaborate way to say a simple thing, so it's even funnier and right. surprising. Um, something I did really like about this book is that, um, I, I mean, I didn't see, I didn't recognize, I don't remember any moment, I guess, maybe I just missed it, 
where any character has more than two legs, more or less than two legs. So that, you know, I was pretty, I was a pretty big fan of. It's good. Three arms, fine. Two heads, great. Is that right? Two legs, perfect. Not that I remember. Of course, I'm a bad reader, as everybody has noticed. <laughs> did, did you read it front to back this time? I read it from the middle, outwards, both ways at the same time. <laughs> my, my eyes go in different directions. Right. Different. You guys not tell? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, meanwhile, um, Adam's, uh, some of his fingertips have appeared. <laughs> That's weird. Why are they up by your mouth? Well, like I, gills I, or something. Well, I tried to squeeze them up near the, you know, the lips to get them through. Oh, oh yeah. They're just, sure. So I have to do it like this. Wait. Kind of squeeze it close to. Are those two of your big toes coming through now at the same time? Yeah. Yeah. I'm very flexible. How did you pull that <laughs> off? That's amazing. Well, you know, it's on the ground. Oh, okay. The lip portal. Sure. That's what I'm going to call it. I don't know what <laughs> right. it is. It's on the lip, lip portal sounds good. Lip portal, yeah. Uh, so my feet and my hands are simultaneously in there. And your lips. And I'm, gra- I'm glad you see all of them. Yeah. You must it's have good. a very they're, long they're torso in order for your lips to get to the ground, like next to your feet. Yeah. It's great. Uh, well, good job. Slowly but surely. Mm-hmm. And it kind of hurts, by the way. Like, really bad. It doesn't, it doesn't look comfortable. Yeah. Well, we'll Do you have a medical it. bay? Medical like bay? If I, if I, you have a Michael bay? No shit. Yeah, it's a basketball court where uh, holographic Michael Jordan and I play basketball all the time. Cool. You guys know about Michael Jordan? These people back in these days know about Michael Jordan? Mm, Probably not. hundred years Probably ago. Not. Nah. No. no. I mean, one of, the, one of the best documentaries I ever remember seeing, though, is Space Jam. Space Jam? Yeah. That was on, yeah, because the aliens, you know. Mm-hmm. Which I know some of those guys. Sorry. Right. Yeah, I really related to those characters. Mm-hmm. In what way? Well, just that they were from a different planet other than Earth. Right. You know, they were different, different skin color, different eye color. Which is, sure. you know, I'm a big fan of different eye colors. You got purple eyes. I do. The I whole do. thing, even the white parts. <laughs> For sure. The normally white parts. The normally white parts. Yeah, you should put that specified because mine are purple, so the whole thing is purple. Right. Kind of like in Dune, how everybody had blue eyes. Yeah. Um, but can we come back to the point that I really need some medicine as soon as I get there? Everything hurts. Like Grandpa's old cough medicine? That would work. Which is just really old cough medicine? This is it take the pain away? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I, I don't yeah. know. I've never tried it. Oh, my, well, my lips are through. I'll just take some right now if you have it. Here you go. Yeah, let's just rub some on right now. Uh, let's some see. salva. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so happy that's that's just a finger noise and not a mouth noise. Mouth noise is the worst. Yeah, I feel right. a lot better, so we can move on. How are your Test. toes? Numb. Hmm. Just how I like them. <laughs> All right, I won't rub any on there then. Amen, brother. Well, so one of the other things about this book uh, that I want to be sure to say now is that from chapter to chapter. The, the voice changes a lot, I guess. So from sometimes we've got just this omniscient narrator, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Other times it's very clearly an entry from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Later in the book, I, I think there's one whole chapter, chapter 25, where I think that it's actually just one character who's telling a story for the entire chapter. So I, I think that that's an, a really interesting thing about this book, too, is just who is the narrator, who's the voice, um, and so who is actually describing any of the action. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's all these complicated 
things about what we haven't even said. They're on a spaceship called the Heart of Gold. It is powered by the infinite improbability drive. And so at any moment, it can it travels through every basically every place that exists infinitely mm-hmm. um, at the same time. And so this kind of confusion about who's the narrator, who's you know, who's describing a thing, where is it coming from? I think that this kind of complicated narrative mm-hmm. helps that idea of infinite probabilities and Yeah, absolutely. And I mean with that in- infinite improbability drive we can now I think probably talk about the sperm whale oh, the sperm that we whale. talked about yeah, earlier should we have a little setup on um, that yeah. situation who wants to assist and who wants to slam dunk at home I'll assist you can and then we'll we'll, we'll fight for the slam dunk okay we'll Michael Jordan it yeah I'll just meet it I'm well, better, we should probably I'm using the Michael Jordan thing they don't know who he is they, uh, well I don't care they'll figure it out yeah. As, as we realize, I really am sort of have some animosity towards the listeners, so <laughs> I don't care so much. <laughs> well, if you know the nerd lucks, Michael Jordan lives with them now. The who? He went back to their planet and just retired there. <laughs> let's, let's, hear, let's see a setup. Okay, so. Okay. Uh, the Heart of Gold yep. is currently traveling to the mysterious planet of, what is it called? Magrathia. Magrathia, thank you. And um, Magrathia is this fabled kind of shrouded in mystery world where uh, basically the richest beings were manufacturing planets for the richest beings. They were this was this luxury item of like making planets. And these Magrathians had um, like this infinite wealth there, and Zephod. Beetle Rocks was very uh, intent on going there, so the Heart of Gold was in its atmosphere, and all of a sudden, um, there's this like missile system that comes online, and two missiles are shot at the Heart of Gold, which is our our character's spaceship. Not a good thing, and uh, the infinite so the infinite probability drive turns these two missiles into. A um, vase of petunias and... And a sperm whale. Slam dunk. That was a double slam dunk. Each had one hand on the ball. I think that's what uh, basket hoop players call... Uh, I mean, hoopy ball? Yeah, hoopy ball okay. players called uppity oops. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's. I think that's what the move yeah. is called. Nailed it. Great. Yeah, so. I think you just gave us an alley-ooping. <laughs> a real alley-ooping. A damn straight. Yep. Show did. Uh, so, 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 are we... Are we <coughs> you got a space cold over there? Yeah, just uh, cracked an egg on my knee. <laughs> you, you're so hungry all the time. So yeah, let's talk about this sperm whale. So basically, this this missile becomes a sperm whale, which yeah. I'm told is one of, uh, a very, very large um, aquatic mammal from Earth that um, traditionally just lives in the ocean. And for it to find itself in the atmosphere of this foreign planet um, must be a confusing situation indeed. And, you know, obviously this missile, having not previously been a sperm whale, uh, is trying to figure out what its whole deal is. Like, why is it there? What's happening to it? Etc. 
I think yeah. I might. I think I might audiobook this. All right, Adam, do you want to audiobook I this? I want to say, yeah, I'll say something really quick. This kind of relates to Brent's point about uh, different voices, kind of what you're hearing, and right. for a brief moment, you're hearing what what sperm whale is saying. So yeah, audiobook that. Joke. Right, and it's it's actually. I mean, so I'm gonna audiobook it. But that voice within the book is actually just what's going on inside of the sperm whale's head. So it's not dialogue, but it's just like a sort of internal voice, um, which I think is... is it, uh, does it have an English accent, though? Um, I think it has an oceanic accent. Yeah, okay. Icelandic or some weird... Um, I'm going to do it in my normal accent. <laughs> okay, great, yeah. Uh, because, again, I just, you know, I don't want to confuse anybody. So here we go. Uh, and I quote from the book, not from the sperm whale yet. Um, this is a complete record of its thought from the moment it began its life to the moment it ended it. Ah, what's happening, it thought. Er, excuse me, who am I? Hello? Why am I here? What's my purpose in life? What do I mean by who am I? Calm down, get a grip now. Oh, this is an interesting sensation. What is it? It's sort of yawning? Tingling, tingling sensation in my, my, well, I suppose I better start finding names for the things I want to make, uh, for things, if I want to make any headway in what, for the sake of what I shall call an argument, I shall call the world. So let's call it my stomach. Good. Ooh, it's getting quite strong. Uh, hey, what about this whistling, roaring sound going past? What am I suddenly going to call my head? Perhaps I can call that wind? Is that a good name? It'll do. Perhaps I can find a better name for it later when i found out what it's for. It must be something very important because there certainly seems to be a hell of a lot of it. Hey, what's this thing? This, let's call it a tail. Yeah, tail. Hey, I can really thrash it about pretty good, can't I? Wow. Wow. That feels great. Doesn't seem to achieve much, but I'll probably find out what it's for later on. Now, have I built up any coherent picture of things yet? No. Never mind. Hey, look, this is really exciting. So much to find out about. So much to look forward to. I'm quite dizzy with anticipation. Or is it the wind? And there really is a lot of that now, isn't there? And wow, hey, what's this thing suddenly coming toward me very fast? Very, very fast. So big and flat and round, it needs a big, wide-sounding name like ow, ound, round, ground. That's it. That's a good name, ground. I wonder if it'll be friends with me. And the rest, after a sudden wet thud, was silence. Um, that was a much longer audiobook po yeah. <laughs> uh, passage than I imagined, um, or I remembered, but that's essentially the entire lifespan of a sperm whale yeah. from the air to it uh, coming to its, me meeting its demise mm -hmm. violently with a hug to the ground. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, again, that, that's all a voice that's inside of this yeah. newly, you know, newly transformed missile that became a sperm whale, that became uh, a crater, a crater, and blubber and blood and you know parts, as opposed to yeah. a coherent thing. Yeah. I wonder if you can touch on just what the petunias. I'm sure the listeners are very intent on learning what the petunias were thinking. Right. I feel like I've just read. I feel like I've audiobooked so much oh, that I'll pass up the okay. to someone else. <laughs> Hold on. Well, let's give them a little bit of podcast gold while, okay. we, while we find the petunia portion. Ready? Go. All right. Yeah, we're back. That's nice. They love it. 
it's worth its weight in podcast gold. <laughs> the following paragraph is, Curiously enough, the only thing that went through the mind of the bowl of petunias as it fell was, Oh no, not again. Many people have speculated that if we knew exactly why the bowl of petunias had thought that we would know a lot more about the nature of the universe than we do now. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, which is, again, you know, another moment where, like, holy cow, like, that yeah. moment could be expanded into, mm-hmm. you know, 500 pages. And it's, it's like, potentially the, just the rest of the book. Um, the author but, just leaves it at that. Yeah, he's just like, oh, yeah, we'll just give them this, like, hook for them to really think about and muse on. Mm-hmm. Well... But then again, like the book moves at such a pace that you don't really get the time to. Like the next chapter starts, yeah. and we're you know other action is happening. And we're back, and we're back. Well, I think then. I mean, I think that that example of the sperm whale and the petunias are actually you know as I was trying to make some notes here and think about what are some themes, what are some things that show up multiple times in the book. Quick aside, yep. when you take notes, do you do that on? Just your own papery limbs? On my paper pants that are on top of my paper limbs. I feel like we've talked about this before. Did we? I was going to say. And I was just wondering if you consider that tattooing or not. Well, it's it's on the, the pants, which are also made of paper. Which are also part of your body. It's your no, flesh, I take them basically. off. Did you? It's like... <laughs> did you... Wait. So... It's like if you had a... Had a I had a coat of many holographic projections that you yeah, put on. Yeah, but I feel like to get one of those, I would have to murder another holographic projection and mm-hmm. steal its skin yeah so moving on mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway sorry to derail you that's all right uh i mean it's never happened before on the podcast so there's the first time for everything yep. absolutely no tangents i think that one of the one of the things that continues to come up is this idea that uh humans any of these other alien let's call them creatures robots Essentially, everyone is facing the same anxiety, neuroses, every single person and every single living, sentient creature. Mm-hmm. You know, at, at one point they say, audiobook, stress and nervous tension are now serious social problems in all parts of the galaxy. And it is in order that this situation should not be in any way exacerbated that the following facts will now be revealed in advance. Oh, I forgot about this. I marked this part in the book. This is a part, though, where, again, that voice of whoever this narrator is actually breaks the fourth wall and, and says to the reader, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in the next <laughs> chapter so that you, the reader, don't get anxious about it because right. there's already enough anxiety in the galaxy. Right. So I'm just going to tell you, nobody's going to die, somebody's going to hurt their arm, and some mugs are going to break. But don't worry about it. That's it. Yeah, that's it. It's going to be okay. <laughs> yep. So in that I moment, I think it's that. amazing because, yeah, the, the narrator's voice breaks that fourth wall. But then it also addresses this idea that we're all, like, nervous and anxious and uh, uncomfortable in our own skin to some extent. Right. Which I think is maybe a theme throughout the whole the whole book. Absolutely. There's there's another place earlier on. There's not many. There's maybe just this one footnote in the whole book, but it's an amazing one. Uh, talking about Ford Prefect growing up on Bellevue Five, 
Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice? Yeah, it's Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice? Isn't that Whoa! weird? Isn't that weird? Uh, uh, who's so, this guy? Oh, he's gone. Oh, weird. The, this footnote reads, Because Ford never learned to say his original name, his father eventually died of shame, which is still a terminal disease in some parts of the galaxy. Um, Fantastic. You know, moments like that, I think, actually get at some of the heart of what this book is about, which is that idea Later, we meet this robot, Marvin, uh, who's got a similar situation going on. We can talk about him. Right. But, you know, this idea that um, I think to some extent we're, we're all kind of awkward teenagers. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> and, we're all uh, sort of sad, yeah. longing for something that we, you know, can't find despite having access to, you know, the entire galaxy at least. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, yeah. Pretty, pretty interesting, especially, um, yeah, especially the robot Marvin, who is essentially pro- must be programmed to be able to feel um, sadness in a big way because he is <laughs> the most depressive person in the or character in the entire book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a moment later in the book where he sort of exposes the depth of his sadness uh, in a really funny way. But we'll get to that later. That's towards he, the very he end. He has the the um, serious cybernetics corporation which built him. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a GPP, genuine people personalities that they're implanting in their robotics. So, yeah, I mean that we could talk about um, do androids dream of electric sheep, but it's not an android, just a robot. Mm-hmm. So no, there's no human. Very, in it. very different. Yeah, I mean, there's genuine people personalities, but still. Ain't no flesh there, homie. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, I mean, that's what I think was actually really interesting to me, though, is that Marvin, a, as a robot, and some of these other machines and things have exactly the same paranoia, anxiety, yeah. stress that any of the humanoid characters have. Right. Which I think is actually a really touching part of the book. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, and even sperm whales and potted yeah. plants all yes. have these like anxieties and stuff and feelings uh which is yeah again totally interesting the um i mean marvin has more control i mean not necessarily control but but he has a little bit more freedom to choose mm-hmm. different i mean his act his actions for instance whereas like the on-ship robot on the article which i can't remember his name i wrote down for this reason eddie 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 but yeah i mean eddie was was so happy yeah. that he kind of annoyed everyone uh-huh. And so they, they change him to like a more of a motherly yep. type character, um, which when they land on Magrathea, uh, acts in a very motherly role. Like I, I don't remember the exact. This is not an exact quote. I'm not audiobooking this, but something to the tune of you know make sure that you like button up your coat yeah, and like up. make sure yeah bundle up and have make sure you have snacks in case your blood sugar gets low because yeah. everybody has diabetes. That's not true. But, uh, you know, you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Or not. Either way, it's fine. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I like that, too. Even the even even the robots or the artificial intelligence that don't have as much, like, sort of personal control, like, can have some really interesting character traits. Yeah. Um, and, again, like, anxieties about, you know, their kids leaving the ship. And yeah. are you going to be okay? Um, which is, yeah, again, yeah. hilarious. Yeah, the the one time I remember actually reading this and just absolutely laughing out loud is with Marvin. Um, they are 
boy, where are they? Oh, they're they're watching this twin stars like sunrise over this planet. A binary Zaf- system. A binary system. That's exactly right. Zaphod is trying to make the moment even more special. Even everyone else, Ford is sort of giving into this. And then, audiobook. The suns blazed into the pitch of space, and a low, ghostly music floated through the bridge. Marvin was humming ironically because he hated humans so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so here's this moment where, um, where, where he's setting up, like, so even Ford, who's really skeptical about this planet being what Zaphod claims it is, mm-hmm. and Arthur seeing, like, an alien world for the first time, and Marvin's over here just, like... Ironic humming. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> exactly. In podcast world. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. That, I mean, speaking of different voices happening in the book, yeah. that, you know, at some point, well, you know, throughout the entire book, Sort of any character, regardless if they are a potted plant, a sperm whale, um, a human, a an door. alien, yeah, a door, like anything can sort of steal the show or be yeah. for a moment in time the main character. Um, which, if you think, I don't know, to think about the sort of grand resonance of the book, I think again highlights the fact that humans, uh, despite them being potentially or ostensibly the main protagonist, really aren't that special. <laughs> Uh, I think that's you know part of the real spirit of the book as well. That is sort of played out over and over again in myriad ways. Fish. Pan-galactic gargle blaster. The effects of drinking a pan-galactic gargle blaster is like having your brain smashed out by a slice of lemon wrapped around a large gold brick. Pan-galactic gargle blaster. Whoa, hey Adam, you're uh, emerging pretty quickly now. I am, yeah, luckily. Um, you know, my butt's still at home. Butt and my legs, so I could still. My butt's at home anywhere. Yeah. Um, well, that you don't really want my butt here. You just kind of want like everything else. But I'll make it. I'll make it. Why don't we want your butt here? Explain yourself. In well, it's full detail. of poop. It's full of poop. Oh man! Hmm. Even like the cheeks. Yeah. It's where you store your poop. Yeah, yeah. Like a little squirrel. Oh yeah, a yeah, squirrel well, store it's nuts. But instead of nuts, you're storing poop. Poop cheeks. Dang We're right. really good at um, animal biology. Yeah. In well, the future, everybody's good at that. Okay. Well, actually, so speaking of animal biology, okay. Uh, if you remember the Martian Chronicles, which we read a while ago, yeah. Um, there was one scene in particular, which I have the copy of it sitting here on the desk as well. Uh, you may remember Sam Parkhill. Sure. Yeah. He. Uh, he was the one who wanted to open the first hot dog stand right. on Mars, if you recall. 
Yes, and we had a lot of confusion about what a hot dog stand even means. Yeah, I'm, I'm still not entirely certain. Because they're pets, right? Yeah, they're like, pets. It's weird. Geez, come on. Yeah. Step up. But, uh, so, in, in The Hitchhiker's Guide, though, there is, I assume it's a reference, but I don't know, uh, at the start of Chapter 20, they land on uh, Magrathia. 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 Anyway, I guess it's just the narrator at this point. Ford is not impressed with the planet. He says, quote, desolate hole, if you ask me. I could have more fun in a cat litter. Um, but then, it continues, I'm going to audiobook this. He felt a mounting irritation of all the planets in all the star systems of all the galaxy. Many, wild and exotic, seething with life. Didn't he just have to turn up at a dump like this after 15 years of being a castaway? Not even a hot dog stand in evidence. Anyway, um, I don't know if that's in any reference to the Martian Chronicles or not, but I like to think that it is. It seems like it probably is. Um, I also think that um, 15 years of being a castaway is probably a reference to uh, Colin Hanks' dad's famous movie, Castaway. Mm Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that sentence is just jam-packed with references. A lot of refs. Tons of refs. Of the Hanks, Colin is the most renowned. Yeah. Well accepted. Of course. I don't even know his dad's stupid name. Well, I know his regular name. I don't know his stupid name. But his regular name is Tom, but whatever. <laughs> it's probably not, a, not important. That's probably not just important. an aside. Um, but, yeah, I... I feel pretty confident that that is a reference to the Martian Chronicles, which, you know, if we really wanted to wanted to comb through this book, I'm yeah. sure that we could find more references to other books, probably ones that we've already even read. Yes. Um, which is kind of, you know, one of the interesting parts about a book that's itself already so sort of self-referential that yes. it, like, is totally comfortable referencing other, uh, other science fiction books as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty... It's pretty great. Yeah. Um, maybe, I mean, should we start getting into one of the main storylines of this entire book, which is the construction of deep thought. Yeah. The computer. Yeah. Um, and Sum it up. Sum it up. All right. So, some of it is 42. Wait. Um, I take it back. Time for your listener challenge. Um, so, listeners, deep thought. This is going to be the, the most convoluted and lar- longest explanation um, for a listener challenge thus far. But in the book, deep thought is a computer made to calculate the answer to life, the universe, and everything. The ultimate question. And it comes up with an answer, which is a numeral. Uh, your listener challenge is for you to um, answer what is that number. Uh, the answer is, as, as I've already mentioned, it's 42. So if you could call in uh, and disprove that it is actually not 42 and it is something else, uh, you will win a fabulous prize, I'm sure. We have fabulous prizes, so please do write in. Uh, we have prizes such as uh, dirty mugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, a dirty copies of books. Uh-huh. Wadded up pieces of paper. Um, dirty wadded up pieces of paper. Uh-huh. Dirty Sanchez's. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. And and just handful clumps of dirt. Just dirt. Dirty dirt. Dirty dirt. Um, so please, if anybody um, could call in, 
fax, email, um, holographically project yourself in here to, you know, to refute the fact that 42 is lip the meaning portal. of life, the universe, and everything. Lip portal yourself it's, in. It's a viable. All you have to do is get your lips in, and then we can hear you say 42. Uh, or, or another number. You can't say 42 because that's the right answer. And so if you said that and if I said something else, then you would win. Uh, anyways, 42, um, prove me wrong. And that's been your listener challenge. Thanks for that listener challenge, John. Really, really excellent work you've done this week. You know, I've done my best. Mm-hmm. That's all I'll ever do. Um, but anyways, that's probably a good t- a good lead-in to, again, a pretty important point in the book. Yeah, so, I mean, do you want to talk about that? Uh, uh, sure. Deep Thought, The deep Computer. Thought. Mm, I'm a computer. Uh, deep Thought, The Computer, uh, built to find the answer to life, the universe, and everything. That's correct. Finds the answer after... 7.5 million years. At the end of that, they find the answer, uh, only to find out they don't know the question. Right. Because that is the, that is the answer, but, again, they, they don't know what that, the, that is the answer to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Deep Thought, early on, I think, yes. or maybe it's after he gives the answer, he recognizes that he is only the second... Um, most intelligent computer ever created. Yep. Uh, the first we learn is the planet Earth and all and everything that happens on top of it, including um, all the biological, you know, human activity, all of the plants, animals, everything that happens there is part of a giant computer um, created on Magrathia again, the um, the planet which creates planets. Mm-hmm. Do we want to talk about? Who funded the operation to create the... All right. Pandimensional okay. beings. I, I think so. The smartest beings on planet Earth. Their corporeal form on Earth. Right. Is mice. Uh, so we've, we've now know the three most intelligent creatures on Earth. My, pandimensional beings, their form on Earth is mice. Uh, dolphins were number two, and humans were number three. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of these beings um, sort of maybe not necessarily work together because they don't know that they're doing it, but they are playing out this 10 million year computer uh, calculation to create the ultimate question. Yes. Um, only to, I think, was it five minutes away from getting five the answer? Five minutes away. Five minutes away from producing the answer, uh, only to be destroyed by the Vogon um, constructor fleet. Constructor fleet. Uh, which again, you know, is a, is an absurd premise. In talking about the futility of of all activity, all action. That you know, I mean, now that all the humans are gone except for two, yeah. and only Arthur and Trillian uh, have any connection to Earth. So, um, well, and this is another huge overlap with the Sirens of Titan, where um, Arthur finds out that from Slarda Bartfast finds out that it's been the mice all along who have been controlling, essentially, it, the Earth was their computer to find mm-hmm. the ultimate question. Yep. And so Slarda Bartfast is telling Arthur all of this, saying that, um, let's see, these creatures you call mice are not quite as they appear. They're merely the protrusion into our dimension of vastly hyper-intelligent pan-dimensional beings, 
the whole business with the cheese and the squeaking is just a front. And in that regard, you know, I think about Salo and the Trow Famidorians right. who are um, in the Sirens of Titan. They're the ones controlling all of Earth, using it as just a message system to relay messages to Salo. Definitely. Saying, and, yeah, yep. like replacement part yep. is going to be there soon. Yep, and they had a very similar... Um, Understanding or, or, or separate understanding of duration of time, mm-hmm. like in that in Sirens of Titan, Salo. Um, I don't remember the exact length of time, but everything that happened on Earth, um, Salo was just there for. Mm-hmm. Like they they understand or time for them. They they live a lot longer, so time for them is much um, long, long durations are much shorter c- compared to their, their lifespan than humans, mm-hmm. which you know live and die pretty pretty rapidly. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing, though, uh, about the mice. Yeah. This brings me to my axe to grind. You got an axe to grind? I got an axe to grind. Uh, my axe to grind this week uh, comes to us from these fucking pandimensional mice. Mm. Why, you ask? Is it because they have four legs? Not quite. It's because they're pandimensional beings, and I believe... Their other form, that's not mice on Earth, has two legs. Perfectly fine. Uh, their, their mice form, four legs. What's the deal? Uh, so it's not necessarily that this, this form on Earth is four legs, which again is disgusting and repulsive, but it's the fact that I don't know what their natural form is. I'm confused as to how many legs they actually have. So if you're out there in the universe confusing me about how many legs you have, get out of here. I'm going to grind an axe on your face. Or at least on two of your legs if you have four in that form. And that is this week's Axe to Grind. Wow. Weird that your Axe to Grind is always really similar (laughs) in theme. I only have one axe. Oh. Why would I, you know... I gotta grind it on something. That makes sense. I if I'll be on those stupid stump legs if I cut them off. <laughs> Sorry, that, seg- that segment's over. I oh, to, I oh move yeah, on. of course. I mean, I think that there's there, there's just a few more things I want to say. I mean, one, in terms of like, again, we've talked about this. Like, the writing of this book, I think, is genius in terms of who's talking, the jokes are, are funny. Even the way that, that uh, Douglas Adams uses basic things like uh, metaphor, simile. Uh, one can, you, can you say one? Yeah. Here, I'll let you know. Here's an audiobook. Let's see. The great ships hung motionless in the sky over every nation on Earth. Dot, dot, dot. The ships hung in the sky in much the same way that bricks don't. <laughs> so, Fantastic. Yeah. I think that's a simile. Yeah. Yeah, the the, the the you know the phrase to this is getting real really this is the English I've learned from reading books. Mm-hmm. Similarly, the tr- traditional phrase is this is like this, mm-hmm. which it didn't say that exactly, but it pretty much did. Yeah. So but that, ladies and gentlemen, is your grammar lesson of the week. Beep beep beep. Yeah. New segment. I'm testing it out. Mm-hmm. Let's hear the sound effect again. Beep beep beep. I think it'll work. That'll do. Perfect. So yeah, so there's that. I mean, the other the other thing that I do want to say is just again coming back to this idea about um, you know I found another example at the beginning of chapter thirty where 
uh, Solari Bartfast is still talking to Arthur and explain all these things and and explain how this big computer, Earth is a big computer, it's been trying to solve the ultimate question. And Arthur's, I mean, to some extent, I think, trying to empathize or trying to feel that and saying, like, oh, yeah, like, I get that. I've always felt like there was something going on <laughs> they didn't quite understand. And and, and Slaughter Bartfast just says to him, uh, no, that that's just perfectly normal paranoia. Everyone in the universe has that. And I think that that sentiment is what I really kept coming back to in this book, just saying, like, no, everybody feels that, man. Mm-hmm. Like, the dolphins feel that, and the uh, pot of petunias feels that. Like, that's, that's essentially, that's part of defining existence, I think, right. is this idea that we don't feel good enough or smart enough or attractive enough or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But that's that's maybe actually what we all have in common is this idea of not feeling adequate. And I think that that um, it, it's different than Sirens of Titan. In, in that, I think in Sirens of Titan, there's these ideas of like humanism that really emerges from it. Whereas in this, it's just like, no, this is it. Like we're all kind of messed up, and we feel like we're not good enough. And yeah, it's actually a thing that we all have in common. Right. Yeah, I mean, when we all feel that way, and, and by saying that, like, everything even beyond humans feels yes. that way, like, you know, intelligent robots feel that way, mm-hmm. um, again, as you mentioned, like, potted plants feel that way, yeah. um, which is maybe, I mean, there's a humanist thing in um, Science of Titan, but this is almost like a universal, like, sort of everything is just as improbable as anything else. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and so we can take solace in that maybe that like okay well this is extremely improbable for us to get picked up by this spaceship when we're out um, just floating um, about to die Mm -hmm. but but also just us existing in the first place um, which you know is potentially like a moment of existential dread but I think this book kind of celebrates that and says you know it's fine because some things are still funny and we can still like matter to you know each other in small ways and make each other laugh um which is maybe kind of the point i don't know yeah i I like that a lot and i think that at the very end so the way this book ends is to some extent like it ends very quickly and you get the sense that there will probably be more books to follow which in fact there's gonna be mm, i don't know We'll have to root around the old pod and find out. Yep. But um, the way that it ends, chapter 35, which is like half a page, there's, um, I guess it, it's an, it's another entry from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the book in the book, talking about the history of every major galactic civilization, saying that it passes through three distinct and recognizable phrases, asking how, why, and where. And so the examples that the Hitchhiker's Guide gives saying that all major civilizations ask these three questions throughout their history, the examples it gives, I think, are really perfect. So how, how can we eat? The second question, why do we eat? And then the third question, which is the most advanced question that an advanced 
intelligent civilization, civilization could ask is, where should we have lunch? Mm-hmm. And I think that that sentiment actually is is way more poignant and kind of amazing than, you know, it, on the one hand, it's like, if you're looking for the ultimate answer to the ultimate question, where should we have lunch, maybe feels really underwhelming. Yeah. But I think if you actually take, so where should we have lunch, um, with another person or with another robot or mm-hmm. pot of petunias, sure. if you actually take that very seriously as maybe the most significant relationship we could have, right. I think that's tremendous. Absolutely. Um I'm going to pull uh, this book and bring it back to something that happens right before the most poignant moment and the end of the book, mm-hmm. which is, I think, one of, you know, one of the most poignant moments in another way, which is how um, our heroes, if we want to call them that, I'll give them vicious air quotes, our right. heroes, how they survive Magrathea. Mm-hmm. Um from from these police officers that are chasing down, um, especially the president of the galaxy of the universe or galaxy galaxy, Zaphod Beeblebrox, after he stole the heart of gold, the spaceship. Um, so they're there, like facing down these um, our heroes again. This is air quotes, and and then they just uh, there's there's suits that are keeping them alive on the planet, sort of shut down, and they're asphyxiated. Um, sort of out of the blue, and we don't really know what happens there. Yeah, and again, there's like coincidence, and coincidence is kind of like the theme of the book. Yeah. So, you know, they get back to the ship a little bit later, and they start to talk to Marvin, and Marvin explains that he plugged into the ship, and that um, he was talking Mm -hmm. to the ship, and Marvin is the depressed robot, Mm -hmm. so him talking to this police ship uh, convinced ship kind of to kill itself (laughs) which Which, made the police officers um, die right uh, (laughs) their life support system so everything seems to kind of be working for the heroes um, right in this really like unrealistic funny way Mm -hmm. which is again like you know in that particular instance the real hero of that moment is this the, the programmatic quality of this robot being depressed like it was so depressed that it talking to another like robotic intelligence that robot killed itself and thus saved everyone so you know i mean we wouldn't even get to um at chapter 35 with uh you know the stages of civilization if this robot hadn't like just by talking to another robot forced it to kill itself so that's like, you know, the vindication of sadness, maybe. I don't know. There's so many like, ways you could dig into that moment. Yeah. Which is, yeah. yeah. And I love kind of the, the shootout that was happening. It was, it was another one of those really funny moments where, like, the police are wondering, like, why are we shooting at you? And then they <laughs> shoot at them again. And they're right. Like, hey, you want to quit now? And they're like, no. So they shoot them again, and then all of a sudden they're gone. <laughs> Yeah, the dialogue in that whole exchange is really excellent. Yeah, we're like, I don't remember the exact dialogue, but something to the effect of like, you know, we're good guys. We don't just kill people for no reason. Um, 
or, or we don't kill people for no reason and then gloat about it or something. We, we don't gloat about it to our friends. It's, I don't know if somebody wants to audiobook this part. Um, you know, we kill people yeah. and then gloat about it to our, our girlfriends well, or something. He says, yeah. uh, I don't go around gratuitously shooting people and then right. bragging about it afterward in seedy space rangers bars like some cops I can mention. <laughs> I go around shooting people gratuitously and then I agonize about it afterwards for hours for my girlfriend. Yeah, I mean, some of the... And, oh, and then the right. other cop. And I write novels, chimed in the other cop. Though I haven't had any of them published yet, so I better warn you, I'm in a mean mood. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, beautiful. Like, the ways that, you know, in the short term, especially for, again, our heroes, yeah. like, very significant actions in this sort of um, local mm-hmm. situation. Like, because if these people get shot, they're yeah. dead. Yeah. Um, so maybe the universe churns merrily along, but for them, like, they don't get to witness it anymore strictly through like I don't know just the way that police act um, them, them fitting into this mold but also agonizing about it they're not comfortable in the mold but they still like engage in it mm-hmm. hilarious that happens a few times too so at, at one point there's when it's talking about this idea of probability that any of them could be alive still frankly there's um I'm an audiobook in chapter 14 where it says, Its crew of four were ill at ease knowing that they had been brought together not of their own volition or by simple coincidence, but by some curious perversion of physics. And then this part in particular, as if relationships between people were susceptible to the same laws that govern the relationships between atoms and molecules. And so to that extent where, where really... It, it is to some extent like this ability to to recognize one another or to exist or not based on you know how how human beings interact there but there's then to back up again to your point about these police officers earlier when the Vogon uh, maybe it's the captain of that ship picks him up and he is talking to his whole crew. He's really he, he wants to be really angry about something, and he's he's sort of yelling at his crew and says, "All planet leave is canceled. I've just had an unhappy love affair, so I don't see why anybody else should have a good time." Mm-hmm. It's a very similar thing where because this like awful Vogon alien creature uh, has had a bad like relationship, everybody else is going to have a bad time too. Right. And it's a very similar, like, kind of localized small thing, but the ramifications of that, you know, it's, it is like that butterfly effect where one thing touches another, touches another. So. How cute. Butterfly effect. No. <laughs> no. No. Um, so where to, guys? Well, are you ready to wrap it what, out? What else do we need to, you want to wrap it up? Wrap it up? Wrap it up? <laughs> or do we have anything else? So Adam, do you uh, do you go uh, same same way out as you came in? So your butt made it. By yeah, the way. yeah, I'm all the way in now, and uh, I'm wondering where your toilet is. Oh, that butt's full of poop, huh? It is. I've got to evacuate the old uh, the old butt poop. I mean, I got a lip portal you can use. Uh, lip portal potty? Yeah. Yeah. Where where does it come out? I don't know. Don't worry about it. Never looked. <laughs> all right. My bum is on your lips. Great. Great. All right. Good. Tom Greenbrand, 
John's. Mm -hmm. Wrapping it out? Well, gentlemen, Adam, thank you for uh, joining us on the pod. Yeah, again. thanks for having me. I finally made it. Yeah, yeah and uh, head out. Yeah, anytime you want to come, you're uh, you're welcome back on this pod. And uh, you know, lips or no, as we always say. We always say that lips or no. Should we wrap this thing out? Adam, you in? You out? Hitchhikers, not a biker, came here on a spaceship. It didn't weigh much, it's a space weight. Some kind of dead weight? You gonna rap? Sure am. Just got here on my lip trans am. Uh, now I'm here. Now I gotta go. Where's the beer? Space beer. Gotta poop. Gotta poop. Poop. Don't be duped. Nothing else rhymes. Keep in time. Keep in time. On my prime. Like a metronome. Like I'm at your home, eating dinner with your mom, trying to get dinner. Cause she's a bad cook, I'm about to eat some mad books. I eat paper. Your host, see you later. I just ate him, started with his legs. Going to the drags. Um... That's it for that rhyme. Now we're on to some other time. We're on to some other limes. Tastes good on that paper. Tastes good. See you later. Bye. See ya.
Yes, I would if I only. 